Hello, welcome back to Forensic Friends. I'm your host, Shelly, and I am here with my forensically fascinated friend, Natalie. Hello. And my fellow forensic friend, Dylan, is probably well on his way to British Columbia by now. I haven't heard back from him since Friday, so I hope he's okay, because he's driving there. Is it far? It's across the country. Oh. Yeah. So, So, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think I mentioned maybe last episode or a couple episodes back that he's moving across the country (laughs) to British Columbia, and he's driving there, which I think takes... Three days if you drive nonstop. So, like, probably five days. Well, it's like, how do I equate it to Americans? So we're what? We're what? Like north northish of New York State. Yeah, I don't know my geography. You're directly to the right of us. To the right. (laughs) Yeah. East. That it. That one. Yeah, because New York is a little bit further west than Toronto, like southwest. Oh, okay. But imagine, so we're, I think we're pretty much like just north of Buffalo, New York, based on Niagara Falls. <laughs> My geography is really good. So imagine moving from Buffalo, New York to the Pacific Northwest. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because British Columbia is directly above where you would call the Pacific Northwest. So Oregon. Uh, far. Yes. Far. But well traffic traffic has been good, I think. Yeah, the roads <laughs> Since, uh, pretty empty. Good time to yeah. be traveling, I suppose. Yeah. Well necessary travel. Yeah. Like stay uh, stay in your houses. <laughs> yes. Don't, don't take your don't kids act- to the freaking grocery store. Oh god. While we're I at mean, it. Don't don't take your kids to the grocery store even if there's not a pandemic. Ugh, I just, but definitely don't do it when there is. If you take your kid to the grocery store right now, could you please make sure your kid doesn't touch every stinking thing on the shelves and run past people? I saw a kid yeah. with gloves and a mask on touching all the shit and running oh. by people, putting their feet on things. I'm like... That is not serving yeah. the purpose you think it's serving if I mean, your child like, does all that. Like, to be fair, there are people who can't, like, they don't have a choice but to take their kids where they are because there's yes. no one else to watch them. So I understand that. Like, you have to buy groceries and your kids can't stay at home alone. But, like, put them on a leash. Or like, have, my parents used <laughs> to do, like, put your hand on the side of the cart and you can't take your hand off. Well, I mean, that's assuming the kid will listen to you, right? But, it, like, if the kids just are that unruly, or especially if... I, I understand, like, if kids are cooped up, they get over-hyper and, and all that. Just put them on a leash. <laughs> the kids I've seen, though, to be fair, are, like, 9 to 11. Okay. And they're old enough to know better. Yeah. Oh, I was... I Yeah, I was imagining, like, toddlers. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't been to the grocery store. I haven't been anywhere except for work and home, which I think is, you know, what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> it, it's somewhat related to this episode, kind of, because 
rather than delving into a forensic topic, since we're tired AF and just worn out, I thought we could do a more chill kind of Q&A-ish episode. Ish Q and A between Natalie and I because I didn't pose a question out to the general public or to anyone listening to ask questions. But Q and A, Natalie has questions for Shelly time. Yeah, <laughs> which also is kind of just the format of the episode. <laughs> just rename the whole thing. Natalie has questions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the uh, subtitle of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, what what day was it? I just messaged you and I was like, they take fluid out of our eyeballs in an autopsy. <laughs> yes, they do. Not just in autopsies. They take it from no. live people for medical reasons. Oh, God. Medical reasons. I was just telling you about the vitreous fluid that we you blood. did but you didn't say it was from a live person oh that's a uh, little different <laughs> i don't know how they do it they just well hopefully do. you're knocked <laughs> out when someone takes samples from your eyeball oh i would imagine i would imagine there's anesthetics involved thank goodness <laughs> yeah so in case people are curious about like what studying forensics was like and what my current job is i guess that's what this episode is yeah yeah. So I think in the very first episode when Dylan and I talked about our backgrounds, we kind of went over briefly what kind of classes we took. A little bit, I think. I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah. So I went into university straight after high school. So our university application process is very different from the States. I feel like I'd this also bears explaining because I was looking at our demographics and and obviously a lot of listeners are from the states but we also have I think there was someone from South Africa who was so interesting which like that's like one of the like furthest countries that I've seen (laughs) listening to this podcast which is pretty cool so hello friend from South Africa hi welcome to the party Uh, yes so to really be qualified for a lot of the forensics jobs, you need at minimum a bachelor's degree, which for us, like you get that in university, like university and college is. I was going to say, I don't. Th- so does everyone else? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I'm not as familiar with other countries. I think it's very similar in the UK. Question mark. Well, explain it, and we'll find out. Um, <laughs> so, college is. It's not exactly a voc- like there's also vocational institutions, but college is kind of like it's usually shorter programs. It tends to focus more on practical applications of stuff. So the job that I'm in now, I'm a medical lab technician, was a college program. You can go to college to be paramedic, esthetician. You can go into college for biochemistry, like more on the industrial hmm. side. And you'll get theory, of course, but like it's not as focused on like kind of the academia. It's it's more hands on. And then university tends to be a lot more theory based with some possible hands on like experience. So we had like lectures and then we'll have labs sometimes. Usually it was every two weeks we would have a lab for a particular class. 
to apply whatever it was that we learned. Um, like what they have in Singapore, from what I know, where you have like everyone outside of high school, if they're going to go do something, there's a two-year program do depending on what you're doing for different things. And then you can choose to go to one of the university universities after that. Uh, so you can choose. There's no like one after the other. So what I did was I went to university first, couldn't get a job, <laughs> and then went to college because it was like a shorter route to getting mm. a job. But in university, like you'll get a degree. And then in college, you can either get a diploma or some kind of certification. Yeah, it, so that sounds like what happens in Singapore. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people might go to college first and then bridge to university. Yeah. Or or like whatever. But basically, that's the difference. So for forensics, most of the postings that I've seen required at least undergrad. I think for the United States, I think it's probably similar to having a small community college and getting your basics done and then transferring to a university for specific from, programs. From what I understand, though, community college, like you said, it's basic, but like our colleges are like their specific programs. Yeah. Like you're not going to be like it's very specific. <laughs> like like for an undergrad, you could have a life science bachelor of science, which is like a very general science degree. <laughs> okay. Like, from what I understand, the only, like, career route is either you go into med school, like, it, it's a general science program, so it'll give you the foundations to get into med school, or you continue with, like, your master's and, and more specific topics. You won't have something like that in mm -hmm. college. Yeah, I think that's a lot of, like, basics are things that everyone's kind of going to have to take, and then you get more specialized when you move on. Yeah, so, like, forensic science obviously was a very specific degree. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, which kind of, like, it, it does make it a little bit difficult, because if you want to branch out, then you might have missed some of the other general classes that other people would have taken, but you wouldn't have. Like, I know a lot of the life science people, they took, like, more generalized genetics courses, whereas other than, like, the introductory genetics course, the rest of my genetic stuff was specifically DNA analysis for forensic science. So when it comes to molecular diagnostics, for example, um, which is a thing that happens in the hospital which I'll, I'll probably dive more into when we talk about my current job in a fancy hospital it's not fancy but like I wouldn't have that knowledge because I never took the right classes for it but if you were to ask me about solving a crime <laughs> yeah so in first first and second year was a lot of general classes general science classes as you might expect yeah. And then we we went more in depth into forensic stuff. But this was different depending on which school you went to because there was another school that I applied to with the forensics program and they didn't actually do any forensic classes until third year. Like first and second, they didn't even touch forensics. Then what did they focus on? Whereas just science. Okay. 
(laughs) Just like biology, physics, chemistry, everyone takes those classes if they're in a science program. Whereas the school I went to, like in first year, you had an introductory class to forensics. And then in second year, you started like your crime scene science and criminalistics and all that stuff to actually get you into forensic science. And then third and fourth year, you got really specific. Like we did forensic chemistry, which was stuff like serial number restoration because you use acids for that. And arson investigations, because obviously you want to test for accelerants and stuff, drugs. Which I think I've been very interested in is figuring out how they determine how a fire started. Because to me, that seems so not, I, I don't know. I don't know in my head how you would determine how a fire started unless there was like actual fragments of a bomb or something. Well, but like any accelerant could cause a bigger fire than than normal, right? So obviously like this is a topic for an actual in-depth episode. (laughs) But in terms of forensic chemistry, you would be looking at, uh, well, we actually learned about the chemistry of a fire, which like just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Because it's such an abstract thing. That's the word that I was looking for. It, it seems less so abstract. abstract, like how a fire would start. Because to me, there are just so many elements. What if I had, I don't know, like these two wires are cut, but they weren't throwing sparks. They've been cut. But when you look at it after the house burned down, maybe, I feel like there's so many factors in a house, so many household things like cleaning products that it would be really oh, hard yeah. to figure out where it originated. I think visually, like an experienced fire investigator would see signs that indicate some kind of accelerant was purposely used. Like you can, I don't, again, I don't want to get too in depth into it because it's been a while since I've touched this topic and I don't want to spew out any facts without going back to my textbook. <laughs> But the thing with forensics is there's usually a way to like take into account all the different factors and variables and, you know, there's statistics involved sometimes, which is why we had to take statistics. No, I had stats for psych. All my (laughs) psych courses required stats. I hated it so yeah, much. Yeah, because you had to put together, like, data and research and stuff, right? It's probably pretty similar. Yeah, my Lexia brain did not appreciate that. I mean, I'm good at math, and I did not appreciate it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I remember, like, one of my, my roommates, I've talked about her in several tangents, but my friend Kara, she, she had to take, I think it was, a medical-based statistics class and her prof was not very good and like she wasn't good at math either so she she struggled really hard to understand like what anything even meant like what a p-value is and and why that's important all that stuff that sounds like me in chemistry balancing equations was literally my worst nightmare to the point where it's now 10 years later and i still remember how much balancing equations stressed me out i actually can't remember how to no 
I think I can balance them. It's just I have to think really hard because I haven't used that information <laughs> in a long 500 long time. years. It basically, <laughs> that's look, I graduated in 2014, which meant I started university 10 years ago. <laughs> which which makes me feel really old but then it's like but 10 years ago i was 17 so i was a baby going into forensics yeah yeah so our class started out probably around 80 to 100 people in first year in the program which is pretty small like my school was a small university it was pretty new like small both in size and like number and then we graduated with, I believe, 14 people. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It, we, everyone just kept dropping like flies because everyone is kind of like enamored with the idea of CSI and, and, and it's cool. And then they realize how much science is actually involved in forensic science. Well, I think at least from... A medical perspective, I don't think people realize how messy it can be dealing with the human body. I I know that for pre-med students in my university, like, everyone expected people to drop when they got to... Me? No. <laughs> the vein of my existence. No, when, they started, <laughs> when they started working on actual... <sighs> dissection of human cadavers? yes cadavers okay yeah my school didn't have that even for our anatomy class we had like virtual dissections so i think it, it wasn't quite as bad i think it's the more quote-unquote prestigious universities that have access to cadavers uh, now i'm annoyed because that's why i didn't do pre-med because i didn't want to do cadavers I mean, it's literally the only reason yeah. I didn't do medical school. But no, but if you if you did medical school, like you would have to probably deal with cadavers anyway. Like I I can't remember if I talked about it, but I was considering doing my master's as a forensic pathology uh, or just a pathology assistant, hopefully specializing in forensics. But then like that's a lot of anatomy. Mm. <laughs> but like all the programs for that. Actually, I say all the programs. There's like three. There's three schools that has that program. Like you would be working with cadavers. I think in certain fields, like there's no going around it. But with forensics, you know, as you can probably tell by now, you don't necessarily you're not necessarily in biology. You don't necessarily need to work with the human body in a direct sense. Oh, that was like another we've talked thing. About. I had a question about medical examiners. Are they forensic pathologists or forensic science people at all or is that completely separate friend we had an entire episode i know i just remind me, <laughs> remind me because i <laughs> so the term medical examiner infers that they have a specific training to do like autopsies but they don't necessarily need to be a pathologist but Generally, most of them are pathologists. Okay. Like they, most of them are actually doctors. Although, again, like it, it might depend on the jurisdiction. So coroner technically doesn't need formal education. They're an elected official to conduct these investigations. Right. 
medical examiner requires a license, basically. But what that education entails is is unclear based on my textbook. Could be a, like a jurisdictional thing um, or a regional thing. And then forensic pathologists are medical doctors who specialize in like pathology and then specifically with a forensic application and they can be medical examiners and most of the medical examiners are forensic pathologists i'm not even mad about asking you to remind me anymore (laughs) because that's not even this clear answer (laughs) i think technically all forensic pathologists can be medical examiners but not all medical examiners are forensic pathologists And then a coroner is just out there. (laughs) A coroner is a fingerprint analyst. They're the fingerprint analyst of the autopsy world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how regional it is. That's the thing. Like based on what we learned in school and based on the textbook, those are the distinctions. But that's kind of one of like the things about science in general is that the terminology can differ depending on region. I guess that makes sense. There are certain standards, like certain things that are going to be set the same way no matter where you are. But like those titles and that kind of thing, it it gets a little wishy-washy depending on who you ask (laughs) and where they're from. At least from the United States standpoint, that makes sense because it's like a federal regulation or rule next to something that's a state decided regulation yeah so based on the information i put together for that episode it seems like in america it's like state-based yeah so that see that's why it makes sense because states can decide and they might have similar things across states or this random state requires that a metal medical exam have less experience it sounds yeah exactly yeah like it, it's it started out with one state being like no 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 we can't just have these randos do these investigations they need to be licensed and then other states kind of were like that's a good idea yeah yeah so that makes sense so, in that kind of context yeah and and a lot of like the certification process is similar i think in canada the the major difference is the criminal code is federal so, in anything that legally counts as a crime, not an offense. So, the, there is a difference. An offense, it's against the law, but it's not against criminal law. Mm. So, anything that's legally a crime is stated within the Criminal Code of Canada. So, that's, like, across the whole country, there's no differences, which kind of makes it a little better because it's less confusing. And if someone's an asshole in one province, then they're an asshole in all the provinces. Unfortunately, it's not as <laughs> clear here. And criminal codes and punishments and things like that can vary wildly. Yeah. Like with stand your ground laws. And oh my gosh, uh, there's a castle law or castle laws where like. What? Yeah, it's so. You don't have castles. <laughs> I know, but it's based off of an idea of. A, a man's home is their castle. So oh. that you can have a stand your ground, which is I think this person's going to do me grievous body bodily harm. Mm-hmm. And then you have a responsibility to kind of exhaust any other recourse 
before you resort to violence. But right. as a kind of exception, if you retreat to your house or your property or you're on your property, you have the right to defend your property, your house, oh. as you see fit in this situation. So you have a standard... So that, like, there's a very interesting case I was... And this man retreated to his house and then shot a guy when he came on his property. So is it a stand your ground? Yeah, so it it can play one of two ways. He is responsible for using deadly force when the other guy didn't even have a weapon. Yeah. In which case it was cruel and unusual punishment. Like, he he went far beyond what was needed. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the guy was yeah, just exactly. walking up to him, and he shot him because he's like, oh, he's gonna hurt me. That's, and see, that's the thing is, like, it, the burden of proof in both Canadian law and American law is on the prosecution. Yeah. So, you know, the whole guilty beyond reasonable doubt, same here, same with you guys. So, like, like, you kind of have to prove without a, a doubt that this person truly believed they were in danger. And how do you prove that? Yeah. And for, for right? that case in particular, it literally depended on how they're, what angle they were going to take. Because from a standard ground standpoint, the other man wasn't even armed. So proving mm-hmm. that he thought his life was at risk was very would be very, very difficult to do. Yeah. And he'd most likely Unless get convicted. He wasn't. But he would most likely get convicted for no, shooting. No, that was a just guy. full that was just full on chase. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many people how many people killed by cops were in fact unarmed and most of did them did not even Yeah. Full shade. Yeah. And that's you know, and like I I should be on friendly terms with cops. I say because I'm in like I studied forensics and one of my profs was a retired cop. My cousin's husband is a cop. But like you just got to call it as it is. Being on the inside just- sometimes doesn't make you have more confidence. Sometimes it means you have less confidence. Yeah. In people who work <laughs> in certain fields. Well, I think that's the whole, like, hold your peers accountable thing. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think all cops are bad cops. I think a lot of cops go into it because they want to protect and serve. They want to do good. And, like, sometimes they don't necessarily have a choice. Um, There needs to be more bias training. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, across the board that... That means I don't think necessarily all of these acts are malicious. A lot of them are for sure, yeah. because it's completely unreasonable. But sometimes, like I, I do understand people go in with this bias and this understanding, and they're told by their peers, especially their more experienced, like partners and stuff, like watch out for these kinds of people. So in your mind, like, you're already biased against them. Yeah, and if you're really suggestible, I feel like that's really difficult as well, but... Yeah, and and you have a dangerous weapon and you're in a high-stress situation, and I think for sure training goes a long way. Like, proper good training goes a long way in preventing, 
like a lot of this shit from happening because I I don't want to like not hold officers accountable for police brutality, but I also want to point out that it's not as simple as like, oh, this person wasn't armed. Why did you shoot them? A case by case thing, but I will say mm-hmm. that protecting the the brotherhood thing where oh, I'll always support my brother in arms. That can't happen. I honestly think so, that can't happen. So <laughs> my cousin's my cousin's husband, who's a cop, we were all having dinner together and not that this is relevant to the podcast at all, but <laughs> I'm like forever single. So of course my parents, because they're like your prime babying age, yep. is like asking my cousin's husband, like, oh, like, do you have any colleagues who you think would be a good match? And then he's just like flat out said, I would not want any of those guys near Shelly, near me. Yeah, my brother because... was an EMT and he was like, I don't trust half these guys to save my, oh my life. <laughs> so good luck. I'm like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's very alarming when when you're like, oh, you're a cop and you're telling me your cop friends are such shitty people mm-hmm. that like you, they, you don't want them. So like these are people who are carrying guns who are meant to protect us. Yeah, there, it's there's real a problem there. It's real yeah. sketch. <laughs> so I don't I'm like I don't think that everyone is in that whole like blind brotherhood bullshit business. I think people do see assholes as assholes. But like there's also a lot of different pressures. I like just, you know, to be fair, I'm not even saying playing devil's advocate because this isn't this is just common sense like like if you were especially a rookie cop and this is, you know, your dream to protect people and then you're getting you see it in movies and TV all the time, right? Like you you want to be by the book, you want to help people, but then you get pressured into doing less by the book stuff. Or you see corruption or you see like some people getting away with things that they shouldn't and it just sours your experience and the and way you, you approach things. Out. Yeah. You can't speak out because it's all of them against you. So, yeah, th- yeah, there are a lot of factors. And, and that was just every man's castle thing. If he had was going to go that angle, then he the use of deadly force was somewhat defendable because he mm-hmm. was defending his property. So, like, that's just an example. Florida has both of those. Not every state has the castle laws. But okay. Florida is one of those places you have those most common in the South. So, like, uh, it might be a crime, I but where you surprised. are it will kind of influence those things. Like, if it was up here and you shot someone on your lawn who had no weapons, hadn't even, like, hit you, Maybe you're in trouble. Maybe in your general direction. <laughs> yeah. Which I think that would be um, the more reasonable approach. But the law is kind of funny in that way where like, like in Canada, at least there is a clause in the Constitution that basically says, you know, your your laws have to be unambiguous. But if you've ever read anything legal. <laughs> like, I think law- you- or met a lawyer or heard a lawyer talk. <laughs> interpretation is such a wide scope like like i um not in terms of forensics but at a previous job 
a shit show, but I did read a lot of legal decisions or tribunal decisions that read like legal decisions. And there's so much about how the judge or adjudicator or whoever like interpreted what the code said and falling back on precedence because I believe both Canada and United States has like precedent law. Yeah. So if like this one case interpreted the law this way, then other judges would want to like refer back to it and be like, since they interpret it this way, I'm going to interpret this yeah. way. And the key word is like interpret, right? You, you, you say the law is supposed to be unambiguous, so there should be no interpretation required. <laughs> But clearly there is. But yeah. And I think we've diverged a little bit from the original intent of this episode. When do we ever stay on track? Fair point. I think what were we talking about before? I refreshing my memory about medical examiners because and who does those and when kids tend to drop these university programs. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then we graduated with a class of 14. <laughs> was it 14 or 17? I'm pretty sure it was 14. Such a small class. Well, it it wasn't that it was very competitive. I think I think a lot of people dropped it because they realized that it was not what they expected it to be. Mm. Because like, so my school, I think I, I did mention this, we had a crime scene house. Which was a big appeal to me because I love learning hands-on. Like, I might vaguely understand something if you just explain it to me. But it's going to stick a lot better for me if if I actually get to do it and experience it myself. Yeah, in the same way. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are. And a crime scene house just sounds cool to people, right? Like, Like, the school would do summer camps with kids and it would be like crime scene camp and they would kind of... Oh, God. Like... Yeah. I feel like that could get really dramatic really quickly. I mean, I think they, they try to make it friendly enough for the age group. I don't remember if it was high school or, or younger, but, like, it's a summer camp. <laughs> like, I think people saw, oh, crime scene house, cool. Like, I get to basically play detective. And then they realize what the role of a forensic science actually is in, in reality how much time you probably are going to be spending in the lab rather than out at a crime scene because in Canada at least like usually the people who are at crime scene collecting evidence and stuff are police officers right like we call them scenes of crimes officers so not everyone wants to become a police officer and they don't want to be in the lab either yeah and that's a lot of the reason why a lot of people dropped but it, it wasn't an easy program for sure like there were definitely a lot of classes I really I just did not take to and I'm a very sciencey person to be fair I don't think I would want this type of program to be easy yeah like you don't want some yeah. uh, your doctor going through the easiest form of education well the, the thing is though like how easy or hard a program is doesn't necessarily get rid of the dum-dums, <laughs> to put it kindly. <laughs> like, there was a girl in my class, no one could stand her, and she did not deserve her degree at all because she just wrote off everyone's backs. I know most people have had experiences with someone like this, 
where like she would text you and ask you for the answers to an assignment no yeah or like she would be like oh can you send i just want to check my answers and you're like yo okay what it's for so of course i'd be like oh i'm busy right now i'm not i'm not at home right now and then i would conveniently forget or she would text like oh can you send your report over because like all of our labs are done in either partners or a group like if you were to for our crime scene house stuff like you would be in a team right so i think i was in her crime scene group for like an entire semester maybe it was two semesters two different semesters so she asked like oh do you mind like sending your report because i want to make sure i got everything and then i was like okay whatever like sometimes you're also missing data like that I kind of understand because especially in the other labs, like you have to note down certain readings and stuff and, and sometimes you might be missing some. So like usually I'm okay with that, but I was like, okay, whatever. I didn't feel like dealing with her. And then the next time she asked me again, she's like, oh, can you send me your lab report? Because last time like I was able to check off a lot of stuff and I got a really good mark. And I'm like, so basically oh my you more God. or less copied. Like, yeah. So she... <laughs> She was notorious for that. Like somehow she, I think she got most people's numbers and would do the same thing. And I remember we were, this wasn't for a forensic class. This was for physical chemistry, the bane of my, no, the true bane of my <laughs> existence. Anatomy is nowhere near as bad as physical chemistry because it is physics of chemistry. So like basically quantum physics, which has no relevance <laughs> to forensic science, period i like we quantum theory <laughs> yeah when you start talking about the velocity of atoms fuck that shit actually that sounds kind <laughs> of interesting to me no. as much as i hate math that sounds interesting do you want to do integrals all day long yeah exactly that's why i like the that's, theory part of quantum that's science. all it was no i didn't mind the theory but we had to do a lot of integrals and i can't stand that and then the prof was not very good and it was confusing and like it was hard to understand which formula to use for what because integrals are just weird in general and I don't remember how to do them but like fuck calculus. <laughs> I will second fuck calculus anytime. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm Asian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like if if you can't get an Asian to endorse your form of math, it's fucked up. That's all I have to say. I, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but anyway, we had it was a group like it was an assignment, like a answer these questions type of thing. But it was in groups for some reason. I don't know why. But it was good because, you know, we could put our heads together and figure it out. And I was stuck with her and, and one other guy who was fine. So the three of us, we were working together and like there were a couple questions that we just couldn't figure out. So we would ask like our other classmates for help, like, oh, how did you do this? Like, I always ask how I don't ask to just copy because hey, I want to understand this problem. Yeah, like I don't I don't do that. I'm like, can you show me like what you did or like tell me how you approached it? But she went off and started asking people if she can just get their answers. And like, How did she everyone even was make it so through? annoyed. 
exactly do it. Like people who just didn't care enough to say no. People who got sick of her constantly pestering them. Yeah, she was one of the 14 who graduated. No. And I know the profs didn't like her either. Because our class was so small, like it was it was hard to skip and not be noticed. So like I I think it was the program director. She made a remark one day when when she looked around and like everyone was here but but that one girl and she was like, Oh, of course she's not here. Oh my god. Like, the like pretty much highest level person related to this program who has connections in the industry <laughs> noticed how shitty you are. I'd be really interested to know if she has been able to work in the field. Last I saw, which was a very long time ago, shortly after graduation, she managed to get a quote unquote lab job, but it was at like some like non forensic related thing. It was very, I think it's been across the board kind of difficult for people to get into forensics from my program unless they went on to do their masters like as far as I know there's a handful of people who are working in forensics from my class but those were also people who went to do their masters pretty much immediately after graduating mm -hmm. that's understandable so, yeah it's it's a very small field it is competitive in that way because it is so small and like there's always going to be someone more qualified than you yeah, and I feel like it's very rigorous because you're doing all these things that can very easily fuck someone up if you get it wrong. Yeah, so there, like, from what I understand of it, like, there are a lot of um, regulations. So in any lab where you're doing any kind of process, there's this thing called an SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. And that outlines exactly how every single thing has to be done. So that way, the consistency of it ensures that there's no weird, random mistakes being made. Obviously, with forensics, like some things are more flexible because it depends on all these different factors and like all that stuff. But when you're running, you know, let's say you're doing DNA. There's an exact protocol, exactly how much sample, how much reagent, how long it incubates, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's all set out and it it's consistent and it's validated. That from the perspective of someone who's been sick a lot and also like there was a case like I, this is all going to be my perspective from the lens of either me being sick or the case because <laughs> okay. I have no other I have no other really experience or things to draw from That's other fair. than my own That's experience fair. or things that yeah. I consume so there is a case where someone broke standard procedure and it sent someone to jail mm -hmm. and they're still on death row for it but it was because graphic yeah. sample from the anus that had a few semen like sources a few semen sorry no, no. <laughs> Just, yeah okay so it was a girl <laughs> the sorry the way i know this this is obviously not like a lighthearted case but when you said a few semen. Well, there's a, it's not the word I want and it's not zygote either. I can't remember. 
a what few different sources. No, that's it's the mean. same source. It's the same source. It's just a f- like a few cells, but that's not even the word I want either. Oh, okay. Like a trace amount. Y- yeah, so there's a trace amount okay. of semen and it, like a negligible amount. And because they used the wrong thing to determine time of death, it was determined that the semen matched the DNA of someone they had it, that he had done and that he had raped her anally. Okay. But he hadn't. He'd had consensual sex with her. And oh, but because, because of, of the, the time frame that they yes, set out. Yes. So because the time frame, they didn't take into account the fact that the that area relaxes. So it's very common for semen to end up in the anus, even though they didn't have sex that way. Mm-hmm. So that to is really... They only caught the mistake like 10, 15 years later. So standard operating uh, procedure is super important. Absolutely. And like, yeah, it's not just to eliminate error, but also for reasons like that where it's like, I, I'm, I can't remember if I talked about this, but like every method that you use in a lab, like an accredited lab, whether it's a medical lab, like the one I work in, or a forensic lab, or like any other kind of analytical lab, like if you have labs that are testing water for contamination, all of these methods have to be validated. So like our lab is now testing for coronavirus in-house before we were sending them out to the provincial lab, but now we're testing them like here. So it's a faster turnaround and and all that more work for us. Hooray. (laughs) But before we started testing it, we had to get this methodology validated and like there's different ways to do that usually with like a known positive and then unknowns and and more statistics and stuff like there's people who are specifically trained to validate so you can't just like in in shows you might see some like genius scientists be like oh hey i just thought of this new thing and i'm gonna use it on this case because i'm so damn clever and this is gonna get us the clue that we need to lead us to the suspect you can't just do that yeah i know that (laughs) that that evidence is not going to be valid in court it hasn't been tested it hasn't been proven to work exactly like it 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 has to be like i think we've mentioned it a few times especially in the earlier episodes like it has to be accepted by the greater community. Mm-hmm. So you can't just have someone who's like, yeah, this thing, it seems to work. So <laughs> I'm going to use it. And then everyone else is like, what? <laughs> like, that's not that's not going to that's not going to happen. So, yeah, like well, there is a lot that of kind of stuff will prevent mistakes if that girl actually works in the field. Yeah, I mean, I for sure want us to do an episode on miscarriage of justice because that's a huge thing to discuss. And like, I mean, from from a forensic perspective rather than necessarily a legal perspective, but maybe a mix of both, uh, because all of these like what is accepted in the court, what is accepted as a method to use within the lab, how should people present their testimony, all of that, like. Because obviously forensics isn't exactly a new thing. Yeah. Like 
people have realized, okay, we need to set some ground rules for this. So yeah, that's, that's one of those things that I don't think people necessarily consider. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things that's hard as far as in court and talking about those things is that a lot of the times you're not presenting this information to people who are informed or who will work to be informed. You're presenting yeah. it to lay people that yeah. are luck of the draw jurors who yeah. you don't know their backgrounds, you don't know their education level, you don't know their intellectual capabilities. Exactly. And and we did talk about this in my law class because it was, again, specifically law for forensic scientists and, and teaching you not just the foundations of criminal law in general, but also the role of an expert witness. So there was actually this wasn't for the law class, but it was taught by the same professor. So this was for population genetics. And we talked about like random match probability and, and that margin of error and stuff. So we actually got a transcript of a court case that was talking about a DNA quote unquote match, which again, you don't use the word match, yeah. but you know, colloquially you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll call it a match just cause it's easier. And the expert witness was trying to describe random match probability and it was just hard for the lawyers to wrap their head around it or they were being like purposely obtuse yeah because it was the opposing side and like just trying to break that down for the layperson like what do you mean there's a possibility of someone having the same dna profile why is this number there how do you calculate this number like that's a lot to explain. And that's one of the challenges I found doing this podcast was breaking everything down into as like layman friendly terms as possible. Which is why we have me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of a lot of my friends are sciencey people. So I can talk about select sciencey things. But like but- but even then, like, not all sciencey people know the same sciencey stuff. Yeah. So that's that's one of the challenges. It's kind of, I'm going to segue into talking about the, the lab stuff that I do now, but <laughs> this is a very self-indulgent episode. I'm not even sorry. No, I, <laughs> I enjoy this conversation too, knowing what it's like, because you called me your forensically interested friend. I was very interested in medical school and you know yeah what I've done with researching my own conditions yeah. and things like that I think medical school I don't know that much about medical school because it was never in my interest like I never intended to work in healthcare yet here I am yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be a diagnostician which is I think similar to a pathologist probably yeah, yeah. cuz that's a lot of what they do is diagnosing people but yeah, I work in a medical microbiology lab. So as you can imagine, this COVID business is a very fun time. Yeah. I tweeted, this was maybe two weeks ago, but I was salty because I'm like, everyone's thanking doctor and doctors and nurses. And of course, oh, yeah, they're doing that. a lot, right? Like they are on the front lines. They're at risk of exposure. They're working crazy hours. But a shout out to us lab people would be nice too. (laughs) 
I think just people don't see you guys on a regular exactly. basis. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know we exist. <laughs> I but, think people who haven't been in the hospital frequently, like <laughs> me, <laughs> might not know that it's not like, oh, I can plug this into the computer and it can tell me if well, I think, this is present. I think one of the misconceptions about the medical field is, or about actually even like in forensics too, is that one person can play multiple roles. Like a doctor is also going to be the lab tech and the diagnostician and and all that. And like, you know, linking back to forensics, like a forensic biologist now suddenly knows how to test for gunshot residue. I mean, they would, but they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, like I don't, I think when people go and get their blood tested for like, just even normal stuff, right? Like yearly checkups, check your sugar levels and your electrolytes and all that. Like they don't think about who's actually running that test. They think it's just the doctor. <laughs> yeah, or like, I mean, if you're diabetic, you are you have a machine that says the sugar. Why can't you just put all the blood samples into a machine and tell me if someone has something? Well, or like if you in high school biology have like test paper, the things you use for... I don't know if everyone does this. When you see what your blood type is. Oh, uh, I think we did it the very old fashioned way. Ah. Where you added like the the antigen to the blood. To yeah. To see if it coagulates. I don't think they did it at my school. It was oh, <laughs> that paper. We, I don't think we ever used. I don't know what this paper, magical paper is. <laughs> I don't either know what I think about it. It's been 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did biology my 10th grade year, so it's been 12, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually, fun fact, a lot of the blood tests do get just thrown into a machine. <laughs> You're, <you'll, laughs> the doctor's going to get a result within like a couple hours, depending on how many samples they have and if the machine is broken or not. <laughs> because I mean, that makes sense. I always get my thyroid levels back the same day. Yeah. It's like... So I'm in microbiology, which is you're looking at diseases caused by infections, caused by microbiology, <laughs> caused by like <laughs> microbes. So bacterial infections, viral infections, parasites, fungi, fungal infections, which is different from biochemistry, which is like your blood sugar or even like urine thyroid levels <laughs> thyroid levels pregnancy tests human chorion chorea something hcg <laughs> i don't yeah, know how to pronounce I don't know that one so <laughs> but that's that's a hormone that and it it's not just in women like men have it too and they can test it for other stuff for men like its presence indicates i believe prostate cancer I could be wrong. I don't remember because I'm not in that lab. So, but like, yeah, so your electrolytes, drug screening, that's mm. all biochemistry. So, separate lab. And then I mentioned molecular diagnostics, which I only know what they do from a microbiology perspective because that's how we deal with them. But they'll use basically DNA based testing to identify certain bacteria or viruses like right now they're handling our covid stuff before everyone in our lab gets trained for it because they were doing the validation but yeah so like different 
different labs in the hospital ba- doing different things. And then there's like the pathology department, which is if someone has something removed during surgery, stuff gets sent there. My thyroid. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes like I think they get boobs. Yeah. Sometimes they'll get biopsies. And then, like, that stuff also comes to us if they suspect that person might have had something infected. Mm. So, yeah, most of our samples are, like, blood for, like, measles, mumps, rubella. Those are the most common ones. Syphilis, HIV, hep C, hep B, like... HPV. I don't think we actually... Do we actually test blood for that? I don't think so. I don't think it's a good really? sample for that. I'd, we don't get it very much. Oh, wait. No, that one's a, a – you do pap for Yeah. I don't think we've ever – well, we have gotten blood for it, but, like, I think we've had to reject it because you can't actually – there currently is not a validated test for blood for that here yeah, anyway. I think it's a swab. Yeah. We also get a lot of swabs. <laughs> Butt swabs. Button throat swabs. Yes. Rectal swabs. Uh, Yes. Butt swabs. Exactly. Exactly what. And sometimes I feel bad because occasionally those swabs have to be rejected. And I'm like, oh, this poor person has to get their butt swabbed again. No. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So funny story. The swabs that we get. So for gonorrhea, chlamydia testing, the swab. (gasps) Oh, I know this one. Yay. So and, not because I've had it, by the way. I've heard people complain. Oh, yeah. Because funny enough, despite our hospital technically being a Catholic hospital, our hospital is well known among the LGBTQ community for like, I guess, tests that they are commonly requiring, like HIV testing. We have a very good positive care clinic and like incredibly skilled doctors and we also serve a lot of quote unquote high risk lifestyle type patients. Oh. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of sex workers and people who are homeless. So there's a lot of STD testing. And one of the most common swabs we get is a throat swab and a rectal swab for gonorrhea chlamydia. And oh, you, okay, so they don't do the urethral swab? They could, but I think most people don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a friend, well, we're going to say friend, not me, this is a guy, penis holder. <laughs> okay, a penis holder? <laughs> penis haver. Haver? Bearer? <laughs> a bearer of the penis. <laughs> Oh no! The caretaker of the penis. <laughs> depending depending on the person, they don't take very much care of it. Oh God! Um, mm. Anyways, I know someone who went to a prostitute. I was like, "Get tested, please." Yeah, because it was not a. Um, it wasn't a good situation. Yeah, not that I think sex workers are by nature dirty just i know that this particular situation they are at increased risk of exposure to stds like that's that's not 
you know, a, a mean thing to say. That's just fact, right? So, like, it, it is important for them to get regularly tested. And I am proud that our hospital is able to provide an environment that lets them, like, feel comfortable enough to get tested. So Yeah, and, and I think that's great that it's offered. But he <laughs> asked for all, like, a comprehensive testing Mm -hmm. and got the urethral swab and was really mad at me well so like the the throat and rectal swabs are usually for patients who are gay because Mm. that is where things go (laughs) (laughs) like those are also penis holders yeah yes i mean like we've had female patients who have had like those areas tested because that is where yeah, yeah. where things went <laughs> but also like cervical swabs and, and such too but these swabs so there's liquid inside the container that you put the swab in because that's got like a preservative and the test for gonorrhea chlamydia that we use is actually dna based testing so oh. pcr based testing so there's like primers and then it's a reagent in there so there's a liquid in there right and the cap for that container has a foil. Like, oh, no. it. I don't know exactly what their testing mechanism is because we actually send that out to the provincial apps to get tested. But what you're supposed to do is, so the swab itself, like the shaft is long because especially for like a cervical swab, it has to go up pretty far, right? You can't just have a teeny yeah. tiny. Yeah, that's awkward. So what you do is after you swab, the patient you put the swab into the container and you break off the shaft so that it fits in the container and then you close the cap send it to the lab a couple times some clever nurse or resident uh thought no i'm just gonna put the cap right over the shaft as it's like the full size so they pierce the foil (laughs) and of course there's liquid in there yeah so all of that liquid is like now you've got someone's butt swab liquid all over the bag and i just i don't understand <laughs> this is the kind of bullshit we lab people have to deal with all the time like well, i've hearing horror stories sometimes of like people who can't do clean catch samples oh <laughs> the other bane of my existence yeah <laughs> It's it sucks because like so w- a lot of pregnant women will get tested for both just general UTI and then also goner chlamydia and we require two different containers because for the goner gonorrhea, gonorrhea <laughs> chlamydia the organism is like really on the outside like it's not it's not in your like urinary tract right So that has to be like your first void. So it's not a clean catch, which means you just pee directly into the cup. But it has to be a specific volume because if you have too much urine in there, then that's diluted the sample and that could cause a false negative. So the containers are marked off with like the volume that you need. And then they need to switch to the other cup to do the test for the like UTI. So 
when I was in placement and I was doing phlebotomy and that was one of the things that like if they also had urine tests ordered, we had to instruct the patients and give them the containers and stuff. And uh, the number of times patients have gone, you want me to pee in the cup, pause my pee and then switch cups? Yes. (laughs) Why is this? Yeah, it's. It's not, it's not easy, like, any person without a penis who has been told to pee in a cup knows how hard it is to pee in a cup. Okay, yeah. So, like... It's hard, but it's not, like, <sighs> impossible. No, but you also have to keep an eye on the volume for that first. I feel like that would be hard yeah. if you're pregnant, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like they can't even see their toes and you want them yeah, to see. So they weren't very impressed. I'm like, I I don't know what to tell you. This is what the test requires. <laughs> Have your husband help? Wife? Partner? Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if anyone loves anyone enough to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I Well, some people are into it. <laughs> no, not even that. Maybe if you're used, like, maybe my perspective is off because I have chronic illness, so. I, yeah, I guess if, if you're, like, used to and, and already expecting to have to help with certain intimate things, but, like. Well, I mean, like, I had surgery with, when I had my hysterectomy, I need help, I need help walking and getting up and sitting down because it's right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So even if I wasn't, it, I wasn't asking her necessarily to help me do a clean catch, but she was in the bathroom with me. Right. But like, to, I'm just picturing someone like squatting in front of their pregnant partner, staring at a cup as urine fills it. Listen, <laughs> if you can have sex with a person and get them pregnant... You should be able <laughs> to help. Right. But like, piss is a whole other thing. Like I said, Fine. unless you're into that. <laughs> Which, we go like, into, we're going into weird <laughs> territory. It's inevitable. Episode. Like, literally, one day after our urinalysis lab, while we were still in school, me and, and my friends, which include, of course, Dylan and Chantel, we were just sitting in the common area, having our lunches, and someone brought up golden showers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so when you're in the medical field, usually if you're in the science field, but when you're in the medical field, like, you just talk about everything. Shall I tell you the story of the exploding poop? Well, it was more of a slow eruption, but... Okay. To be fair, I feel like, I don't know, if people are listening to this podcast, I don't know if they're going to be like people going into a program and they don't realize what this kind of stuff goes into, but I'm not a really good frame of reference as far as like what people want to talk about brown wise because I'm chronically ill and I'm medically interested. I read Jur- medical journals for funsies yeah. sometimes oh this is this is or watch not surgeries, the level so of, this isn't i should clarify this was not my exploding poop <laughs> <laughs> well what i mean is like i'm more comfortable talking about things like we talked about my fucking ibs shit. 
Look. And like na- literal natural shit. bodily functions. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. Like, to be fair, this isn't a medical podcast. This is a forensic podcast. But it kind of is. You don't deal with shit, like literal shit, as much in forensics, I think, as you do in the medical field. But, like, exploding poops happen. <laughs> yeah. I. Wait, what's the gas in them? I know there's. I know why. I don't. I don't remember the specific i think it was, it's technically methane is it methane um yeah. but i'm proud of myself <laughs> this was this was a sample that i received and this person was really sick like it, the person who handed it over wasn't the actual patient i think it was a family member of the patient but like i firstly if you were ever asked to provide a stool sample, please do not overfill the container. Oh, God, especially no. if it is to test for an infection. I don't think th- I'm not sure if this person actually overfilled it, but like, there's usually a fill line. Um, I say I don't know about this. I haven't had to do this test. So to test for like an infection causing diarrhea, a lot of times you'll be given Ooh. a container that has a liquid in it. It's a preservative. And there is a fill line. The reason being is if there's an excess of bacteria, you know, aside from your normal flora, which poop obviously has a lot of bacteria. Right. But, you know, if you have like e- like an excess of E. coli, basically, or yeah. salmonella or shigella or, that, or those stuff, then there's a lot of gas production, which yeah. causes the poop to s- expand. And um, this person's poop expanded and you can and I knew like at first I was like, okay, like it's kind of full, but whatever. But as soon as I opened the container, it hissed like I was opening a (gasps) thing of pop. So I grabbed a bunch of paper towels and like put the container on top of the paper towels and it just started like bubbling and exploding like a high school science project. Oh, God. Yeah, it was It was a lot. And see, I instinctively hold my breath or I breathe. I don't breathe through my nose when I deal with stool specimens because I know. Um, so I didn't know how badly this thing stunk. Like, because, again, I wasn't breathing through my nose. But then someone walked by to grab something from the shelf beside me. And they were just like, nope. And just. Turn around, <laughs> walked away, didn't even grab the thing they meant to grab. I'll get it later. <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, my God. And they just walked away. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, like, waiting for this thing to stop exploding <laughs> so that I can oh, clean God. it. Obviously, you know, I'm wearing gloves. And this is in a biosafety yeah. cabinet, which helps contain this kind of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's one of those, like stories that I heard about because my best friend Kara she is also in a medical laboratory she's a technologist so she's told me about exploding poops I just didn't expect to experience one for myself in that context well yeah if you're listening um, please don't overfill your poops (laughs) yeah and also just be prepared for us to go anywhere from sexually transmitted disease to poop so (laughs) 
Look, I know... If you weren't already aware... <laughs> I no longer have a filter for those things because, like like I said, a lot of my friends are either in the sciences or already working in a like a medical lab. So this kind of stuff is like normal for them now. So we exchange horror stories, as you might imagine. Yeah, and I'm uh, forensically medically adjacent enough. Yeah. Yeah, so we can talk about shit. Literally. Because <laughs> it's great. You, I have a date for my disability hearing, so pro- all of this probably is going to be brought up soon. Great. Fun so I get to talk about all of this. Unless, you know, Corona's still around in June. Probably, hopefully not. God, I hope not. <laughs> it tends, like, it tends to be less viable when it's warmer like viruses in general that's why you don't have as many people getting like a flu in the summertime but yeah from what i know the actual virus itself is really delicate i'm or just a lipid barrier i'm not i don't i haven't seen that in the stuff that i've read and i don't know what the sources are so i'm not going to (laughs) comment I cannot cite my sources, so... <laughs> yeah, so I I think just being very sciencey in general, like, I always question where information comes from, which... I think I got it from the CDC when I was uh, looking up stuff for making the masks, but since I'm not sure... Yeah, I've generally been avoiding a lot of stuff about COVID-19, just because, like, misinformation, I'm sure people have guessed, really pisses me off. <laughs> like, I think that's fair. Like, though. I will rage. And then also, it's it's hard to pick apart misinformation sometimes. So I generally stick to the original sources of information, like World Health Organization, CDC, and then for us, it's Public Health Canada or Public Health Ontario. So... Like, I haven't gone out of my way to look for additional research because a lot of it could be from fiction, basically. Right. I mean, that's fair. I don't look for my own mental health reasons. I'm not looking at a lot of the information yeah. beyond what I need yeah. to know. But because I was making the masks, I did make sure I was making a mask that was actually going to be helpful helpful yeah i like i don't know it's for me like when i see all these different organizations and and governments telling people like to wear masks it's kind of see the masks that like the surgical masks or even fabric masks isn't it's obviously not going to be like the most protective Right. right, it's just for like touching your face and something, but also because people keep buying the masks, there are shortages yeah. here. I mean, there's shortages here too. I th- we're we're definitely doing better. Like, I've actually heard from some of my other friends, like at their hospitals, they have pretty bad shortages, but somehow ours is pretty on top of our stock, I guess. Mm. So it's been okay for us. But 
I think I did see one critique and I do agree is that telling people that they should wear masks when they're out and about can be problematic because it can provide a false sense of security. Oh, okay. Yeah. On that, in that angle or on that angle, I agree, but I feel like saying don't wear masks is irresponsible. Yeah. I think if that from my perspective and my understanding of the virus as someone who is in the medical field, the surgical masks, if someone coughs on you, it it will for sure prevent a lot of the droplets from coming through, yeah. especially larger droplets. But those masks are not really going to filter out. Like, they're not made enough to, like, how am I going to word this? Not tightly knit. Designed. Yeah. they're Oh, yeah. Like, like a vi- the virus could technically still go through, whereas an N95 mask is probably going to filter that out. That's why the CDC has said for people who are going to make masks that they've recommended a quilting cotton fabric or at least a heavier cotton Mm -hmm. or cotton if you can get to it because it tends to be more tightly woven. Yeah. So I have three layers of cotton instead of the two because there's room for the filter. Yeah. If if someone wants to put a filter there. And and that's like it it helps for sure, but it is not going to guarantee protection. Mm-hmm. Also like it's not like an air not airtight cuz obviously you need to be able to breathe through it. But it's not completely sealed. So an N95 mask, especially ones used for medical reasons like we use it for Ebola. Those are fitted to your face. Like we go and get tested to, to ensure that there's a complete seal. And that, like if I was to walk around with a properly fitted N95, then I'm probably not going to be inhaling like even dust because that's the whole thing, right? Like, yeah, but I think what people are worried about is people think that if they put a mask on, they don't have to do social distancing. Yeah, that's a no. Which, like, it's a bit of a slippery slope argument because people still aren't social distancing anyway. <laughs> mask or no mask. Oh, yeah, I saw pictures on Facebook today. Friends in Arkansas had a gathering for her mom's oh, birthday. God. Yesterday, I'm like, and brought her toddler. Oh, no. What are you, you just exposed, potentially exposed your toddler to something that has a very high mortality rate in children. And I think, like, what, what the good thing about people wearing masks as much as possible, though, is if you are infected and you don't know you are because you can be asymptomatic. Right. Well, not only that, there's an incubation. To yeah, that, that as well. Too, right? Like, so I mean, at the po- at that point, you're asymptomatic, and you might continue to be, or you might not be. But like that, generally prevents droplets from you going on to other people. So yes, it will still help lower the infection rate. But just stay home, people. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> 
No birthday parties. Do a do a God. Skype birthday party. It's just a mess, and I think vigilance is required. I do think some people are a little overboard, aka my parents were really annoying because they're telling me what to do, and I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> mother, who's where? He covered the fact that you don't know anything. Look, I, <laughs> my mom, is constantly like telling me oh you need to wear a mask you need to wash your hands I'm like first of all yes I know I'm not going anywhere like when I'm at work we are given masks that we have to wear the entire shift and then I'm not even taking the subway anymore because especially during night shifts like subway just doesn't work for me so I'm driving so I'm going like from the parking lot across the street from the hospital to the hospital where I'm given a mask and then yeah but, like, this is a woman who said it was okay to drink orange juice from a jug that she just wiped mold from the lip of. <gasps> no. So who is she to tell me what to do? <laughs> In this God. respect. Like, that's, I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is that. <laughs> when, when, like, and she gets, like, <sighs> She's one of those people. I mean, she's she's a middle-aged, like, boomer-aged Asian woman. So she doesn't understand what misinformation is. So she swallows fake anything. News. Misinformation is fake news. Well, actually, yes. <laughs> Technically, the definition. <laughs> I yeah. know. I'm like, that's a weird double entendre. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is kind of the point. Yeah. I think it's funny. Yeah. I, it, it's like, I don't know. I know a lot of people are also struggling with their own parents trying to pick apart the misinformation and, and all that. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw a video of this stupid. I think this okay. was this the one you of sent this, to me? Uh, no. Oh, oh, no. Of No, that video was the one my mom sent me. Yeah. That video. <laughs> but there's Walmart and she spit on oh god this guy because he was saying she didn't pay for her groceries and she was like i bought all my groceries i want to see um i want to see the receipt of what i bought but she didn't buy anything is the thing okay so she's trying to steal <laughs> yes like a whole cart oh, full of stuff yeah and so a guy comes over and he's like, you need to leave the store. And she coughed at him and then spit the on fuck? him. And yeah, so they called the police because a- people have already been convicted of terrorism oh here, God. by the way. Because there, there was one guy who went in a store and thought it would be funny to lick oh. all the products. Or, and people have been doing really stupid stuff, but it's really risky because you could possibly getting uh, be getting other people other stuff like yeah okay just because we have this crazy pandemic happening doesn't mean that other viruses other diseases suddenly stopped existing don't lick toilets people for, for the to go viral basically on tiktok and stuff which is bad a pun great priority <laughs> have, um, that was a Weird dad joke in the making. (laughs) I don't know. But she spit on him and she was like, 
but you you know what? that what did i do wrong she was like what did i do wrong you this is how you get the phlegm out because the virus lives in your fat huh and which goes into your phlegm and then you have to get the virus out so phlegm she was is not just fat showing them a lesson <laughs> i know she was like i'm just teaching you a lesson on how to get it out of you also pandemic or not spitting on someone is assault like that is a actual criminal offense because you could have any disease residing in your mouth the mouth is a very dirty place yes so yeah spit it like at least here but spitting on someone will count as assault i don't know if it does here. i'm pretty sure but... it does i i like i yeah. hope so but right now it's super oh, yeah, absolutely. counted yeah, as absolutely. assault or terrorism yeah yeah don't do it don't like toilets stay home TikTok's not worth it. <laughs> I I don't go on TikTok. I, <laughs> the only TikToks I care about are the ones with dogs in them. There are doctors on there. I saw one about gastroparesis oh, yeah. and I was like, there's what? <laughs> I know like I follow this one doctor on YouTube and he's he's had a video about like healthcare practitioners having to be careful on social media because sometimes they're also shitheads. <laughs> My favorite is I saw a nurse who made a video about people being overweight and she was like, stop saying that your vitals are perfect because you can't have perfect vitals if you're fat. I'm like, are you um, dumb? I'm sorry. This does not, this does um, not help my bias against nurses. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think you are cor- actually. I know you are not correct. You might want to um retract that yeah. real fast. Yeah, I get it. You don't like fat people. Okay, bye. And like, as a nurse, you should not care about someone's body size, what their life is like. Like, your entire job is to take care of someone and help them. But also, you do, by being a nurse or a healthcare professional, you should know that oh, people, people can don't have know. different health things. People, <laughs> my old doctor was a total asshole, which is why I switched <laughs> to another doctor. I haven't seen him in years, and then I switched. <laughs> yeah. I should just point out again that I don't actually dislike nurses as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> Man gets some yeah, I've just had no one of this. This is this is funny. I can't hate nurses because one of my friends is a nurse. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, Get out there of are here. like there are a lot of good nurses who do amazing work and are very dedicated. And from like my perspective as a lab technician, are willing to learn because I understand that nurses and doctors and everyone else in the hospital like everyone has their own jobs right they don't necessarily know what the other jobs actually do so i get that like i'm not going to expect a nurse to know how to process a cerebral spinal fluid for culture and sensitivity like that's not their job but 
like especially with they don't they don't actually do the collection of a cerebral spinal fluid just saying um that would be a little concerning but usually they're like them or a resident would be the ones to drop it off but like that that was just an example i used because cerebral spinal spinal the libid cerebral if i can say it cerebral spinal fluid sounds spinal fancy well we we just say csf so yeah but that's what the lumbar puncture is lumbar lumbar yeah lumbar lumbar but like yeah i don't and i don't expect even a doctor to know exactly what we do in the lab but i do expect them uh to know that they shouldn't be giving us a leaky specimen that they should be closing all of their containers properly. That they need to label their specimens. Because we've gotten many, many unlabeled specimens or mismatched specimens and just stuff like that, which is like kind of eye rolling. Like if part of your job is to collect specimens for testing, you should be trained how to do that properly. I mean, sometimes they forget. Like I've I've called a nurse in Emerge. Um Poor thing sounded so stressed. <laughs> she was so unhappy. But Ugh. a sample that she collected wasn't labeled. And she's like, what do you mean they weren't labeled? I labeled them. And I'm like, no, one of them, like, I think it was four blood culture bottles. And three of them were labeled, but one of them wasn't. So I had to call her to mm. come and label them. And she's like, ah, damn it. Like, does it have to be right now? Because I've got a patient who's like coding <laughs> on me. And like, and I'm like, oh, God. take your time. Yeah, please don't come like, over here while your patient like is coding. I'm just letting you know, I because like blood cultures are an irreplaceable specimen, so like someone needs to come and label it or sign it off and take responsibility for it. So I'm like that particular bottle just won't be processed until this is taken care of. Yeah. But like it doesn't need to be right away. It's fine. And then eventually she came up and she's like, like sorry, it was so busy. I must have forgotten and like. You know, this this one patient just didn't seem to want to live. Yeah. Oh, no. So I'm like, I can tell like she was stressed. Like she was a little short with me at first because obviously there was a lot going on at that very moment. But like afterwards and like I'm understanding, you know, it's crazy and emerge. Obviously it's emerge. Yeah. And things happen and like, but like that was fine. Like she knew what she was supposed to do. It, it was just, she missed one. But then sometimes like, I've actually had a doctor call, a staff physician, not a resident. So this is a doctor with experience. And he asked why a specimen was rejected and it said unlabeled. Um, And I'm like, well, it was. Because it wasn't. Exactly. (laughs) And he's like, well, I saw them put the labels in the bag. And I'm like, that's not the same as labeling the specimen. Like, why do you not, why do you not know this? You're a doctor with experience in a hospital. Like, this is, this isn't a hospital policy. This is, like, all hospitals have the same thing. Specimens have to be labeled. (laughs) There has to be a label on the specimen. Because how else are, like, like, I think some people don't realize, oh, just because they throw the, the labels in the bag then obviously that means this label belongs with that specimen. Well, it's like, we can't make that assumption. That's not our responsibility. We're not the ones who collected it. So, 
yeah, things like that. That's like those are the things that agitate me. And then, of course, when you tell someone they did something wrong, they don't always take that well and they have a bit of an attitude. <laughs> Especially if they're older. Yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's just they're just an asshole. But yeah, usually usually I find like people who are older and just less willing to learn or they think they are so experienced that like how dare you tell them they did something wrong. Yeah. Fun times. Well, we we've I don't even know. This I guess this is chat forensics this, and this science. This was this was okay. our fuck it episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're still Forensic adjacent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Medical adjacent. I mean, I think, like, just because I've alluded to my job in this podcast before, so I feel like people might wonder. And, again, I feel like us lab rats are severely underrepresented when talking about the medical professional stuff. I'll agree with yeah. you on that. Actually, sure. this was really sweet. Um, one of the technologists in my lab, the church that she goes to, wanted to like find a way to show their appreciation for medical professionals. So they wrote a personalized handwritten card for every single person in our lab. Yeah, oh, and they and nice. they gave us like a, a Tim Hortons gift card because Canadian. <laughs> But yeah, it was. What's like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Do you not know what Tim Hortons is? Why would I know what Tim Hortons but, is? But like, it's a it's a Canadian stereotype, we gone. and you you have Tim Hortons. They just suck there. We haven't gone, so I don't know. It's it's a coffee. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, so it is like Dunkin' Donuts. Goodness, but like Canadian, but not. Because I think it was actually an American company. It just ended up in Canada. Well, people's accents here are Canadian, but not, <laughs> so. I don't know what that means. So Sorry. Roof. Yeah, the roof. I have never actually heard someone say it like roof. How do you say how Roof? Roof. Roof. It's a yes. roof. Roof. No, I don't even know how I say things anymore. <laughs> roof. <laughs> how do you say roof? Is it, it's roof. I've never yes. heard someone say roof. Okay, well, the person beside you does. <laughs> Wait, is roof supposed to be Canadian? Roof. I don't know. Is it Canadian? But uh, bagel... bagel? Who says yeah. bagel? The person beside <laughs> me. I'm judging really hard right now. Uh, it's fine. Okay, I but do also as well. Americans <laughs> pronounce foyer as foyer, and that pisses me off. Yes, it's foyer. foyer. No, yeah, it's, a foyer. it's a French word. You're French. It's a foyer. Yeah, you're French. It's, it's a French word, so it has to be pronounced French. I'm only teasing because um, I'm usually the one saying it's a French word. Like when people, I hate I hate when people say this. I'm not going to say the word. What do you call it when someone has their hair transitioned to another color on the ends? Ombre? 
It's really? technically it's technically omb. If you were to really be yeah, yeah, but that sounds weird when you're saying it in an English sentence. But foyer still sounds fine in an English sentence. <laughs> foyer still sounds fine in an English sentence. Foyer is wrong though. Well, also so technically it, if you were to say it as a verb, it's ombre. I'm just saying. Took French for nine years. <laughs> this is medically adjacent, <laughs> but also <laughs> the language time. Yeah, your voice just went on my end, and I knew I lost you. Okay, I'm recording again. I don't know what we were talking about before that, though, so I don't know how to transition right now. This has been random medical adjacent time. And then, I don't know either. I don't what know what. Yeah. What day is it? Where are we? <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> that's my transition. Anyway, <laughs> this has been our fucking episode. Yep. May or may not be the episode title. I don't know what else to put for the episode title for this one because we talked about everything and nothing. Honestly, fuck, it's pretty appropriate. <laughs> I mean, every episode is a little bit of a fuck it episode, but like this one is just entirely fuck it. So, During these trying yeah. times. The number of times I've said these trying times unironically is ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> I mean, these times are pretty damn trying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I can't guarantee that next episode isn't going to be like this because, um, Starting my second job. Yay. Two jobs. And you've been working nights and you're testing yeah. for all the nonsense. Yeah. And dealing with a lot of nonsense from doctors and nurses, which I think was probably the last thing we talked about yeah, before maybe. we went into everything else. But yeah. So that has been this episode of Nonsense. If you enjoyed it for some reason, <laughs> you also enjoy random <laughs> medical talks. Please give this podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and follow it so that you get notifications for new episodes and all that stuff. Yeah, and if you do it on Podchaser right now, they are donating a quarter, I think, for every review on Podchaser. To... I think it's Meals on Wheels. Okay. So, I mean, do it anyway, but also do it for the donations. <laughs> People need I guess. Yes. I mean, on that note, also, if you are able to spare any, like, monetary amount, please donate to food banks and shelters and also hospitals to help with shortages and just madness in general that's been happening. Yeah. I know shelters are getting hit hard because obviously that's not a situation where people can social distance. So donating to those definitely helps a lot. And anything else? Make your own so masks and take actual precautions and don't take your children to stores and wash your hands and don't touch your face. <laughs> just reading down that checklist <laughs> if you are uh, having mental health problems during this time you are not alone 
And you can also definitely reach out to peers and even therapists through online means. Yeah. Um, so that's an option. If you feel alone, there are other people who feel the same way and who might be able to help with these trying times, <laughs> as Natalie has been saying. <laughs> Find people who are doing Zoom meetings. Oh, yeah. People who are... I think there should just be, like, Zoom meetings specifically for pets. <laughs> just join any, like, pet live stream. Oh, my god! They do it at zoos, right? Like, there are zoos oh, that yeah. live stream their enclosures. So, like... I think it's a wonderful idea if you want to live stream your dumb dog or <laughs> your, your cat dog. or whatever. I, when I say your dumb dog, I mean my dumb dog. Your dog is <laughs> cute. A little dumb. Our cat's a little dumb. Um, She's still cute. I mean, I think the dumbness helps with the cuteness. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> Please follow us on social media if you would like more shenanigans. Actually, I'm not really social and not really active on social media, but like follow us there anyway. <laughs> if you are bored in these trying times, let us know if you um, want to I, do our social media. Yeah, I haven't really touched Instagram in a long time, but if you want to follow us there, that is Forensic Friends Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to follow me shit-talking science stuff <laughs> on several occasions, uh, that's Twitter. That's my main shit-talking platform other than the podcast itself, Forensic Fiends. And if you have a long list of other precautions you think people should be taking or other messages, you can send them to ForensicFriendsPod at gmail.com. <laughs> And if you want even more shit talking in podcast format, you can listen to Several Tangents, which is my other podcast, which is entirely consisted of tangents. Which is basically how we live our life. Yeah, exactly. And you can find Natalie at Some Kind of Brown on all platforms. And it's also my podcast. Yes. I. I claimed all of them <laughs> <laughs> um my butt's hurting so i think this is a we can finally finish this yes yes i'm hungry <laughs> oh go eat goodbye Bye. why are we always delirious at the end of every episode